worship. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. We're in Genesis chapter 13 today as our second sermon in our new sermon series on the life of Abraham. We've entitled this series, Finding Faith in a Fallen World. And if you were not with us last week, we saw that Abraham is a major figure in world history. If you think about it, he plays a major part in at least three world religions. In Islam, he's one of the prophets uh, between Adam and Muhammad. In Judaism, he is the founding father of the covenant, that special relationship between God and the Jewish people. And in Christianity, the New Testament refers to Abraham as the father of all who believe. If you add all those three major world religions up, you're talking in excess of 4.3 billion people who are adherent to a religion where Abraham plays a major role. So if you're going to understand world history and culture in any depth at all, you're going to need to know about Abraham. I'm really excited about this particular story about Abraham in Genesis 13. I don't know what your history is with the church, but I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and this was an often told story in children's Sunday school. So be listening for why you think it might have been told in kids' Sunday school as I read Genesis 13. Verses 2 to the end of the chapter, I'll pray for us, and then we'll dig in and take a look together. Hear now God's word from Genesis 13, beginning in verse 2. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold, and he journeyed from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the, valley, the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, 
Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks at Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this account from the life of Abram. I pray that you would use it in our lives today, that you would teach us, that you would be at work in our hearts, that you would accomplish your purposes in the lives of your people. And Father, I ask that you'd be willing to do that even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Do you see the problem that is presented in the text? Did you catch what was going on? Basically, Abraham and Lot had prospered and had so much stuff that verse 6 tells us that the land could not support both of them in the same spot. And verse 7 tells us that strife had broken out between the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot. And so there was all this tension between the two of them and the people who work for them. So I don't know if you can see why now this story was so used in children's Sunday school when I was in there. Basically, the application would usually go something like this. Now, y'all don't be fighting over stuff now. Y'all need to learn to share. Like Abraham, let the other person choose. Then you take what's left over as if some as if Abraham is some paragon of virtue that we're to look up to. They never told us the story right before this when where Abram's just gone to Egypt and tried to pass his wife off as his sister, which is how he got a lot of these things that make him prosper, but endangered the line, the seed that would come from he and Sarah. Of course, he'll do other foolish things over the course of his life, but we didn't really talk about those much. We just looked at the good stuff Abraham did and said, well, y'all shouldn't fight. You need to share. Now, I want to be clear. I think those are biblical concepts. Surely the Bible calls God's people not to quarrel with one another, and certainly we are to share and to not be selfish. I think those things are true, and they're biblical, but I'm not sure that's the main point of this particular text. As I look at it and I study it, it seems to me this text is about faith in God, and about the faithfulness of God that we've been singing about today and hopefully we'll see in the text. And as a call, yes, to examine our own hearts, yes, for selfishness, yes, for fighting, but those are really symptoms of a deeper problem. And that's what I think the Lord is calling us to deal with. And so as we look at the text together and we're discerning what the Lord, the message the Lord has for us, I want to look at together at Lot's response to this problem that we've identified, and then Abram's response 
to that problem. And then we'll look at how the Lord responds, the Lord's response, and hopefully have some ideas about how we should respond. So let's look at those things together. First, what is Lot's response? You see it there in verses 10 and 11, right? Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. And so he chose for himself, verse 11 says, all the Jordan Valley. And so he journeyed to that place and separated from Abram. Basically, Lot picked the more fertile land, right? And it's not hard to figure out why he would do that. That would be better for him. It's better for his flocks. It's better for his stock portfolio if you're investing in livestock. Then it would be better to grow his fortune and to prosper if he takes the more fertile land. And he chooses to go that way. He listens to Abraham's advice and says, yes, I am going to separate. And so Lot finally gets to be in charge, not under the command of the patriarch Abraham. So now Lot gets the more fertile land, more opportunity to prosper, and is independent from Abram. Now, let's ask the question. Is it wrong to want to make money and prosper? Is it wrong to want independence? No, not at all. Not necessarily. I mean, God had prospered these men. He's the one that had given them these things. And to make wise choices so that they can live in the land is not something that is wrong. But there's something, I don't know if it jumped out to you, but just jumped off the page to me. When Lot lifts up his eyes and begins to look at the land, the narrator tells us what Lot sees. We get to hear Lot's perspective. And did you catch what he saw in verse 10? He lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley, this one part, was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like Eden, like paradise. Now listen, I'm sure it was a great piece of land, and I'm sure it was very fertile. <laughs> but paradise? <laughs> Eden? The garden of the Lord? I'm not so sure Lot is seeing it the way that it really was. But Lot here is looking to this fertile land like Eden, like the garden of the Lord, like it will bring perfection. So it's not wrong to make money or to prosper or even to be independent. But to look at anything and say, finally, the solution to all my problems, finally, this will complete me. This is paradise. This all I could this is all I could ever want or dream of. To look at anything with those kind of eyes other than the Lord would be wrong. And Lot here is looking at this fertile land and it being on his own and it growing his portfolio with spiritual eyes. As if those things will give him what we had in the Garden of Eden, of what we had in Paradise. 
You see, in Eden, we had assurance of our significance. And we had it because God was with us. In Eden, we found satisfaction. But that's because we enjoyed uninterrupted fellowship with God, who is the only one that can satisfy us in the depths of our souls. In Eden, we had security. But that's because God was with us. In Eden, we had affirmation that we matter, that we have significance. But that was because God himself had his attention on us. In Eden, we had acceptance. But that's because God desired us. We were complete in the garden. And we still long for all of those things for satisfaction, for security, for significance, for affirmation. And Lot is looking to this fertile land and being on his own and more prosperity to give him what only God can give him, what can only be found in Eden. Here's the lesson for us. This is the lesson that we learn from Lot. You cannot have the garden of the Lord without the Lord. We cannot long enjoy satisfaction or significance or security apart from God. But boy, that doesn't stop us from looking, does it? It's not just Lot's issue. We all look to something to give us those things. Lot here is looking to his own independence, to money, to prosperity. What do you look for for those things? If I had the chance to interview you, if you were honest up here in front of everybody, maybe you would say, as long as I have power or influence, then I feel significant and secure. For some of us, we might say, as long as I have popularity, as long as people are pleased with me and think well of me, and as long as I have the applause of men or of certain people, then I feel significant, I feel affirmed, I feel like I matter. For some of us, we might say, as long as we have a certain comfort, a certain quality of life, a certain pleasurable experience, then we feel like we matter, we feel like we've arrived. We feel secure. For some of us, we might say, as long as I have control, or as long as I'm in a place where I can help someone else, or as long as I am achieving, as long as I'm productive, as long as I'm getting things done, then I'm satisfied that I have significance and I feel secure. For some of us, we want to be seen as a good mom or a good dad or a good pastor or good at my job or good at something before we feel significant, before we feel a sense of security. But to look at anything other than the Lord, even good things, 
and to say, now finally the solution to all my problems, this will perfect me. This is the main thing that I want. This will assure me that I have significance or satisfaction or security or affirmation. This will assure me that I matter, that I have what it takes. To look at to anything other than the Lord for that is wrong. What are you looking to to find those things? I call you to turn from those things to the living God. I love Augustine's prayer. I don't know if you know. But Augustine prayed, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and restless are our hearts until we find our rest in you. Think about your life. I call you to look for all these things in the living God. Well, how does Abram respond in this situation? You can see in verse 8, Abram's motivation is to preserve the relationship that he has with Lot. Lot is his nephew. He's saying, look, let's don't have strife because we're family, we're kinsmen, we're related to each other. But if you think about it, there are really at least three things that, that Abram needs to be thinking about here. And he's got at least three options to respond to this problem that we've identified, right? The land won't sustain them both. So what are the three things that he needs to think about? Well, he's obviously thinking about his relationship with his nephew Lot, and he wants to preserve relationship. He also needs to think about his own prosperity and security. He's living off the land, and it's necessary for him to live. That's at least something that he has to take into account. And of course, Abram, the man of great faith, also has to take into account his relationship with God. So his relationship with Lot his own prosperity or security, and then his relationship with God. And, and if those are the, at least those three things he has to keep in mind, that gives him really three options if you think about it. Option number one, the land will not support both of them together. Verse 6 tells us that. And it's interesting, at the end of verse 7 it reminds us at that time the Canaanites and Perizzites were dwelling in the land. I think the, the author Moses adds that in here in order to remind us that this, the original inhabitants of the land, they probably live in the best parts of the land. So the herdsmen of Abraham and Lot are having to scrap for water and for food in the remaining parts of the land. And so that was what made it hard to sustain such affluence on the land that they had available to them. So... What could Abraham do to protect his prosperity and his relationship with Lot? Abram could go to another place. He could go to another land that would support flocks this big. But of course, that jeopardizes what? His relationship with God. If you were with us last week, you, we saw in Genesis 12 where God says, Go to this place that I'm sending you. And so God had said, I want you to live in this land of Canaan. 
So while going to a different land that might sustain his flocks would help his prosperity and security and preserve his relationship with Lot, if he leaves Canaan, then he's being disobedient to God. Option two. Abram could have taken the better land. He could have said, look, I'm the older patriarch. I'm the man. I'm the one that calls the shots around here. It would have been within his rights to do so. Most folks probably would have said, okay, Lot, listen, the land's not support both of us, so I'm going to go down here to the Jordan Valley to the fertile part, and then you take this part over here, and we just need to separate. Well, of course, that would keep Abram in Canaan and preserve his obedience with God. It would allow him to continue to prosper, but it hurts his relationship with Lot which he obviously wants to maintain that relationship and not alienate his nephew. So what Abram does is this third option. He says, Lot, you choose. You make the decision. It preserves his relationship with Lot. He remains obedient to God because he stays in the land of Canaan. It probably jeopardizes his prosperity. Will he still be able to live on the land that's left? There's some loss of security that takes place with this decision. How did Abraham do that? How did he say, I'm going to put obedience to God and preserving this relationship with Lot above my own security, above my own prosperity? How did Abraham do that? It's not that Abraham was great. It's not what it was. We'll see his flaws and foibles as we continue through the text. But if you read Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham is commended for his great faith. So it's not that Abraham is great. It's that Abraham had great faith in a great God, specifically faith in the promises of God. Abraham believed that in God he had all that he needed. Abram believed that God would protect him and provide for him. And as a result, Abraham didn't have to cling to the things of this world. As if his wise decisions are what would sustain him or protect him in the land. Abraham doesn't have to choose for himself. Because he had this sense that if God was for him, that didn't matter what Lot chose. That's great faith. We don't usually have that kind of a response. Like Lot, we tend to get focused on the things of this world. We focus on what is seen instead of what is unseen. How do we make that shift? How do the things of God become bigger for us than the things of this world? How do unseen things become bigger for us than what is seen? That's hard. But I believe the text shows us There's a phrase that occurs over and over again. In chapter 12, in verse 7, once Abram goes into the land, you can read in verse 7 that he built there an altar to the Lord. 
And then it says it again in verse 8. He goes to another place in Canaan. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And then in our text, after he comes back from Egypt, he goes to where he was before in verse 4. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. He goes back to that altar that he had built and calls on the name of the Lord. And then you see it again in verse 18 at the end of this chapter. Abram moved his tent. He goes to a new place. And there he built an altar to the Lord. What's he doing? Every place that he goes, Abram builds an altar to the Lord. And part of that is to claim this land for God who has given him this land. But part of that is to remind Abram of God's promises, of God's faithfulness. Of God's presence with him. Abram built into his life things that helped him to focus on God. Things, seen things, that reminded him of what was unseen. How about us? Boy, we need that, don't we? What are ways we can build into our lives reminders of the faithfulness of God? Reminders of the unseen realities. Well, you're here this morning. Hopefully you've made a habit and not giving up the habit of meeting together. One of the reasons why we gathered every Sunday and sing the things that we sing and say the things that we say is because we forget this stuff. We live in a world where we're looking and we see things. And when we come here, we're reminded of the unseen realities, of the spiritual realities behind the physical things that we see. We're reminded of God's faithfulness, of his goodness to his people. It's one of the reasons why we gather on the first day of the week to prepare us for the rest of the week. But it's so easy to forget once a week. I don't know about you, but that's not enough. We have to build things into our life every day. Whether it's scripture reading, Bible study, prayer, getting together with other Christians. The bottom line is this. We cannot spend all of our time focusing on the things of this world and then think that when we make difficult decisions, we're going to take into account spiritual things. There is a transformation that takes place in the people of God that comes by the renewing of our minds, which only comes from dedicating ourselves to God, giving ourselves wholly to Him. Romans 12, verses 1 through 3. You can read about that more. Surely that's the right response. Believing the promises of God. Believing that God will protect and provide. Building things into our life so that we remember spiritual unseen Well, how does the Lord respond to that? You see it there in verses 14 to 18. The Lord says to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes 
and look to the place where you are. Notice in verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and he looked to something to give him the paradise of the Lord. Abram doesn't lift up his eyes until God says, lift up your eyes and look. And then he says in verse 15, for all the land you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that one can count the dust of the earth. Your offspring can also be counted. And he tells him to walk through the land and that all this will be his. So God promises again land to Abram and to his offspring. Now, what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? God's repeating his promise here. Well, it probably means that we need to repeatedly hear the promises of God. Surely that's one of the reasons God does this for Abraham. But think about it. Who is it that is first receiving this text? Do you know who wrote Genesis? Do you know? Moses, good. And so Moses is writing this down, presumably giving it to the children of Israel who have just left Egypt and are about to enter this same land of Canaan, the promised land. And so here they're reading a promise God had made 500 years earlier to Abraham, a 75-year-old childless couple at that, that his descendants would be numerous and that God would give the land to his descendants. Well, those folks can look around and see that God has kept his promise, that Abram's descendants are numerous. They're all sitting around campfires in the wilderness waiting to go into the promised land. So they hear the promises of God. They look around and they're like, man, God has been faithful. Abram's descendants are numerous. And surely, what they're supposed to take away is God is faithful to his promises. We can see that. So we can trust him as we enter the land to take land because he's promised he's going to give it to us. And God has been so faithful to his promises. Well, what should our response be reading this some thousands of years later? Well, who is reading this today? If you read Galatians 3 and verse 29, we're told, If you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are Abraham's seed. Galatians 3 verses 6 and 7 tells us that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Those who have faith in Christ Jesus are children of Abraham. So if you're here today and you look to Jesus for your salvation, if you are in Christ, then you are a child of Abraham. And Galatians 3.29 says, and heirs of the promises that God made to Abraham. That these promises are our promises. And we can look around. And say, wow, those who believe in Christ are numerous. By last count, over 2 billion people. So God has been faithful. And those who are Abraham's seed are numerous. But what about the land promise? If these promises for us, does this mean I got some property in Canaan somewhere? 
Some folks read this that way. But I believe if you read the New Testament, we see that this land promise is not about the land of Canaan. But God expands this land promise to the whole world. Think about it. When Jesus is talking to his followers in Matthew 5 and verse 3 in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of God. So God is giving a kingdom to his people. And then in Matthew 5 and verse 5, we're told, blessed are the meek. Why? For they shall inherit the earth. And if you keep reading in Matthew's gospel, by the time you get to the end in Matthew 28, the resurrected Christ says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples of what? All nations. So the land promised for us is is the world. And Revelation promises us that one day as we worship God around his throne, there will be people from every tribe and nation and people group there. That the kings of the earth will bring the splendor of their culture to the Lord. So it's not like this land promise goes away, it expands. So the takeaway for us is certainly God is faithful to his promises. We can see that. And that means we can trust him. We can put our faith in him. It means we don't look to the things of this world to satisfy us. That we believe that in God we have all we need. We believe that God will protect us and provide for us. So that we don't have to cling so tightly to the things of this world because that's not where our hope is. And we have great hope that God would use us to extend that hope to other people from every tribe and nation and people group. We're so afraid to talk about our faith. We're afraid of just surviving. And the promises of God are big for his people. And he has a pretty good track record of success. He's so faithful. You can trust him. Don't look to other things to satisfy. Believe that in him you have all that you need. And communicate that to others. May he give us that kind of faith and that kind of commitment to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray and ask him to help us do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for flawed Abraham. Thank you that he has flaws and that we see you use broken and messed up people to accomplish your purposes because we're broken and messed up. And that gives us great hope that our faith in a great God is what sustains us. Please grow our faith. Help us to build things in our lives to help us remember and help us to trust in you. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.